0: So I want to end with this story. You may have heard it, but it's worth repeating. Uh, it it's so illustrates everything I've said. This is called my train wreck conversion. Have you guys heard this? Put on your seatbelts. The word Jesus, th- th- this is written by Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. The word Jesus stuck in my throat like an elephant tusk, no matter how hard I choked, I couldn't hack it out. Those, those who professed the name commanded my pity and wrath. As a university professor, I tired of students who seemed to believe that knowing Jesus meant knowing little else. Christians in particular were bad readers, always seizing opportunities to insert a Bible verse into a conversation with the same point as a punctuation mark, to end it rather than deepen it. Stupid, pointless, menacing. That's what I thought of Christians and their God, Jesus who in paintings looked as powerful as a Breck shampoo commercial model. As a professor of English and women's studies on the track to becoming a tenured radical, I cared about morality, justice, and compassion. Fervent for the worldviews of Freud, Hegel, Marx, and Darwin, I strove to stand with the disempowered. I valued morality, and I probably could have stomached Jesus and his band of warriors if it weren't for how other cultural fortresses forces buttressed the Christian right. Pat Robertson's quip from the 1992 Republican National Convention pushed me over the edge. Feminism, he sneered, encourages women to leave their husbands, kill their children, practice witchcraft, destroy capitalism, and become lesbians. Indeed. The surround sound of Christian dogma mixing together with Republican politics demanded my attention. After my tenure book was published... I used my post to advance the understandable allegiances of a leftist lesbian professor. My life was happy, meaningful, and full. My partner and I shared many vital interests, AIDS activism, children's health and literacy, golden retriever rescue, we like that one, our Unitarian Universalist church to name a few. Even if you believe the ghost stories promulgated by Robertson and his ilk, it was hard to argue that my partner and I were anything but good citizens and caregivers. The GLBT community values hospitality and applies it with skill, sacrifice, and integrity. So I began researching the religious right and their politics of hatred against queers like me. To do this, I would need to read the one book that had, in my estimation, gotten so many people off track, the Bible. While on the lookout for some Bible scholar to aid me in my research, I launched my first attack on the unholy trinity of Jesus, Republican politics, and patriarchy, in the form of an article in the local newspaper about promise keepers. It was, it was, uh, it was in 1997. The article I, I wrote generated many rejoinders, so many that I kept a, a Xerox box on each side of my desk, one for hate mail, one for fan mail. But one letter I received defied my filing system. It was from the pastor of the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. It was a kind, inquiring letter. Ken Smith encouraged me to explore the kinds of questions I admire. How did you arrive at at your interpretations? How do you know you are right? Do you believe in God? Ken didn't argue with my article. Rather, he asked me to defend the presuppositions that undergirded it. I didn't know how to respond to it, so I threw it away. Later that night, I fished it out of the recycling bin and put it back on my desk where it stared at me for a week, confronting me with the worldview divide that demanded a response. As a postmodern intellectual, I operated from a historical materialist worldview, but Christianity is a supernatural worldview. Ken's letter punctured the integrity of my research project without him even knowing it. With that letter, Ken initiated two years Ken initiated two years of bringing the church to me, a heathen. Oh, I had seen my share of Bible verses on placards at gay pride marches, that Christians who mocked me on, on gay pride day were happy that I, I and everyone I loved were going to hell, was clear as blue sky. That is not what Ken did. He did not mock. He engaged. So when his letter invited me to get together for dinner, I accepted. My motives at the time were straightforward. surely this will be good for my research. Something else happened. Ken and his wife Floyd and I became friends. They entered my world. They met my friends. We took We did book exchanges. We talked openly about sexuality and politics. They did not act as if such conversations were polluting them. They, they did not treat me like a blank slate. When we ate together, Ken prayed in a way I had never heard before. His prayers were intimate, vulnerable. He repented of his sin in front of me. He thanked God for all things. Ken's God was holy and firm, yet full of mercy. I Get this one. And because Ken and Floyd did not invite me to church, I knew it was safe to be friends. I started reading the Bible. I read the way a glutton devours. I read it many times that first year in multiple translations. At a dinner gathering my partner and I were hosting, my transgendered friend Jay cornered me in the kitchen. She put her large hand over mine. She said, this Bible reading is changing you, Rosaria. With tremors, I whispered, Jay, what if it is true? What if Jesus is real and a risen Lord? What if we were all in trouble? Jay exhaled deeply. Rosaria, she said, I was a Presbyterian minister for 15 years. I prayed that God would heal me, but he didn't. If you want, I will pray for you. Yikes. I continued reading the Bible, all the while fighting the idea that it was inspired. But the Bible got bigger inside of me than I. It overflowed into my world. I fought against it with all my might. Then one Sunday morning, I rose from the bed of my lover and an hour later sat in a pew at the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. Conspicuous with my butch haircut, I reminded myself that I came to meet God, not fit in. The image that came in like waves of me and everyone I love suffering in hell vomited into my consciousness and gripped me in its teeth. I fought with everything I had. I did not want this. I didn't ask for this. I counted the costs and that I did not like the math on the other side of the equal sign. But God's promises rolled in like sets of waves into my world. One Lord's Day, Ken preached on John 7, 17. If anyone wills to do God's will, he shall know concerning the doctrine. This verse exposed the quicksand in which my feet were stuck. See, I was a thinker. I was paid to read books and write about them. I expected that in all areas of life, understanding came before obedience. And I wanted God to show me on my terms, why homosexuality was a sin. I, I wanted to be the judge, not one being judged. But the verse promised understanding after obedience. I wrestled with the question, do I really want to understand homo- homosexuality from God's point of view? Or did I just want to argue with Him? I prayed that night that God would give me the willingness to obey before I understood. I prayed long into the unfolding of day. When I looked in the mirror, I looked the same. But when I looked into my heart, through the lens of the Bible, I wondered, am I a lesbian, or has this all been a case of mistaken identity? If Jesus could split the world asunder, divide morrow from soul, could he make my true identity prevail? Who am I? Who will God have me to be? Then, one ordinary day, I came to Jesus, open-handed and naked. In this war of worldviews, Ken was there. Floyd was there. The church that had been praying for me for years was there. Jesus triumphed, and I was a broken mess. Conversion was a train wreck. I did not want to lose everything that I had loved, but the voice of God sang a sanguine love song in the rubble of my world. I weakly believed that if Jesus could conquer death, he could make right my world. I drank tentatively at first, then passionately, of the solace of the Holy Spirit. I rested in private peace, then community, and today in the shelter of a covenant family where one calls me wife and many call me mother. I've not forgotten the blood of Jesus surrendered for this life. And my former life lurks in the edges of my heart, shiny and still like a knife. Rosaria Champagne-Butterfield is the author of The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. She lives with her family in Durham, North Carolina, where her husband pastors the First Reformed Presbyterian Church of Durham. Isn't that amazing? (sighs) Someone was willing to be a friend and not condemn and, and lead with truth, but just to be a friend. And it created, it, it, it woke up something inside that woman that was there, that hunger, that longing, that she was eagerly waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. It woke something up, and she responded to it. Ken and Floyd didn't have to ram anything down anybody's throat. They just had to be sons, a son and a daughter. So let me end with this. John three sixteen, and 17. A lot of times we just read John 316. This is in the Amplified. For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in, trusts in, clings to, relies on Him shall not perish, but have eternal, everlasting life. For God did not send the Son into the world in order to judge, to reject, to condemn, to pass sentence on the world, but that the world might find salvation and be made safe and sound through him. That is the heart of the father right there. He longs for his children to come home and be safe and sound with him. He's not interested in pushing them out. Like the prodigal son, someone starts heading his way, he runs after them, welcomes them in so that they can become safe and sound in the house of God so if I can I want to give you an assignment it's real easy but this this is my assignment in the next few weeks make friends with someone who is not a Christian that's it just get into their world just enjoy them don't try to convert them just get into their lives just love them And care about them. That's it. Does that sound too difficult? I don't think so. Just become friends. And see what God will do. As you go and be Jesus Christ. Moving into their neighborhood. Into their life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Well, Father, we hear your heart. In these, in these messages in your, in your book, and we hear the Holy Spirit and your heart for people and your desire to, to want to bring your lost sons and daughters into, into your home where they can be safe and sound. So Lord, today we, as your sons and daughters, we just want to say, help us. Lord, help us our sinful, judgmental ways. Help us to repent of those ways so that we can move into people's lives just as you did. Lord, we we submit ourselves to you in this process and, and say, help us, Lord, to not be judgmental. Help us to love people. Help us just to be friends with people. And then we know that you're going to take it from there. You're going to open up the doors. You're going to give opportunity to share things. But help us, Lord, to be agents of grace, agents of love, telling people who they are, not who they're not. So we submit ourselves to you, Lord, in this, in this process. In Jesus' name. Amen.
1: You know, we we talk a lot uh, around here about being the church and not just doing the church thing. You know, and something that when, when we understand that we are God's church, then the emphasis isn't so much on inviting people as in some sort of end goal. Ah, just get people to church. If you're there with them, they're already there they're already there. You may, in the next couple weeks, if you can receive this love assignment, you may invest in someone's life for the next 20 years and never see them give their life to Jesus. You may not understand until you get to the other side. And we're in heaven if that person ever gave their life to Jesus. But if we will commit to love, to not just have a nice little sign up here about loving people. It's like, yeah, we're a people who love people. Well, Jesus showed us what love was. And what love is. And He gave and He loved And there are many that he gave and he loved that never, ever got saved. That we know of. We don't see the end of the story. I was watching a show with my kids the other day, and uh, it's a new series that Bear Grylls uh, is doing. You know, if you're familiar with Man vs. Wild, it's called Get Out Alive with Bear Grylls. And there's these teams, it's a reality survival show, and so you have these tandems of different ones you know, a father and a son, a daughter and a son, you got a married couple, an engaged couple, you got two best friends, and then you have a gay couple. And one of the men that was on the show, he was the father daughter team, and they were, you know, they're going through some very, very difficult things in the mountains of New Zealand. And he says to them in a in a debrief time. He's talks to about six or eight of them in the group. He said, and he's he's older, gray beard, gray hair, and he uh, he says, you know, I am so proud of you. Like I would be proud to have you as my own sons and daughters. As far as I know, the guy's not even a believer. There was nothing that would indicate that he was a Christian. Off camera, ish, you know, offset. They'd interview, as they do, if you've seen in different shows on these reality shows, different ones. A homosexual couple, these two guys, sat there, tears in their eyes. And, and, I mean, they were emotional and just crying. Just like he said that he was proud of us like we were his own sons. In a moment, he healed those two young men. Just like the story he read. I was so impacted by that. He was proud of us. There's so much welling up in my heart as a result of what you've shared, and I don't want to go on and re-preach everything. And... <laughs> but you can tell, it, and, and I see it on your faces. This is kind of a cozy family time right now, you know? This is, you know, as we look around here, there, are, there's, there aren't new faces. And that's okay. Because the new faces that people are going to you, you're going to encounter the new, the new faces, the broken lives, the hurting, the messes, just like us in a lot of ways, right? Come on. We're the beggars who are showing another beggar where to find bread. Amen. Should you choose to accept this mission that Jesus has been on for all these many years. He wants to do that through you. Through me. I love it. Thank you. Thank you.